1931, Harlem, New York. In a smoky room north of Central Park, a crowd of audience members sits before a full brass band who explodes onto the stage before them, led by a frontman who would captivate audiences for decades following this performance. Hey folks, here's a story about Minnie the Moochie. He was charismatic. She was a low down, huge He was funny. She was the roughest, toughest friend. And he had a way of bringing the audience in to sing with him. His name was Cab Calloway, and he was making waves in the music industry in New York City. His stage presence was enthralling, and his musical talent was evident. But the most interesting factor of Cab's fame was his skin. Cab was black. And because of this, he would be remembered fondly in the music scene for his breakthrough performances and for playing his part in a sequence of events that took place between 1918 and 1940 among African-American artists of all kinds, a rebirth in the African-American identity, a cultural revolution in the United States that was born in Harlem, New York, that would be immortalized with the moniker, the Harlem Renaissance. Welcome to the podcast. The podcast is Tanner Talks about stuff that happened. And as always, I am Tanner, and I'm going to be talking about stuff that happened. If you're a newcomer to this podcast, welcome. If you're more experienced with this podcast, welcome back. I'm always happy to have all of you here. This week we're talking about the Harlem Renaissance, and it's going to be a fun episode. If you enjoy this podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and drop a five-star review or just leave me something nice to say, or why not do both? It really helps us get more people involved with the conversations about history and also gives me a bit of an ego boost. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. So without further ado, let's get on to the show. So what was the Harlem Renaissance? First, let's explore the name. What was the Renaissance Renaissance? Well, the Renaissance was a fervent period of a European cultural, artistic, political, and economic rebirth following the Middle Ages, generally described as taking place from the 14th century to the 17th century, the Renaissance promoted the rediscovery of classical philosophy, literature, and art. Some of the greatest thinkers, authors, statesmen, scientists, and artists in human history thrived during this era, while global exploration opened up new lands and cultures to European commerce. The Renaissance is credited with bridging the gap between the Middle Ages and modern-day civilization. So, why is the series of events we are covering today called the Harlem Renaissance? To start, it was a cultural awakening similar to that which occurred during the late Middle Ages, and it was born in Harlem, New York. Why Harlem? In the 1880s, contractors in New York City had grossly overestimated the population growth and had overdeveloped much of northern Manhattan, including Harlem. Large, luxurious apartment complexes were being completed, but were mostly empty. 
some families had moved in, but overall, landlords were losing money faster than they could justify it. So they lowered their prices. And in doing this, the African-American community in Manhattan noticed and took advantage. A series of middle-class black families moved into these low-priced apartment complexes, enjoying their amenities, but it upset the white families who had already moved in. Initially, they, th they fought against the black families moving in, but eventually, as more African-Americans migrated to the area, most of the Caucasian families eventually just moved to different neighborhoods. The luxurious area named Harlem, that was initially intended for Caucasian neighborhoods, was transformed into a popular African-American haven, where their population began to boom due to something known as the Great Migration. Time for a definition. What was the Great Migration? The Great Migration was the relocation of more than 6 million African Americans from the rural South to the cities of the North, Midwest, and Western American communities from about 1916 to 1970. Driven from their homes by unsatisfactory economic opportunities and harsh segregationist laws, many blacks headed north, where they took advantage of the need for industrial workers that arose during the First World War. During the Great Migration, African Americans began to build a new place for themselves in public life, actively confronting racial prejudice, as well as economic, political, and social challenges to create a black urban culture that would exert enormous influence in the decades to come. Harlem was central in the Great Migration. Former slaves in the South heard tales of this African American paradise growing in New York City, and it sounded almost too good to be true. They had to see it for themselves. So they went, and usually, stayed. But the main catalyst for the Harlem Renaissance runs deeper than the situational factors. Since the abolition of slavery, black Americans were in something of a political and societal limbo. While they were no longer seen as property, they weren't exactly seen as first-class citizens. This created something African Americans viewed as double consciousness which meant they saw themselves as simultaneously American and also non-American. They were part of the American society, but they were also not part of American society due to segregation and laws meant to keep African Americans at a lower rung on the societal ladder, most remembered as Jim Crow laws. In the Harlem Renaissance, black Americans decided to both embrace this and also to challenge it. They were segregated, sure, but maybe instead of fighting so hard for integration, they could create their own thriving culture within the black community. They didn't need the approval of the white cultures to do that. Then, in 1918, the boys came home from World War I, and the true extent of prejudice in the nation became very apparent. White soldiers were heralded with extreme amounts of praise for their valor and bravery, while black soldiers who fought in the exact same war received no such attention. It was time for a shift. And so, in Harlem, New York, in the late 1910s, a movement began. Many cultural historians cite 1917 as the first year of the Harlem Renaissance, because that year, three plays were produced that challenged the status quo in a big way. These plays were called Granny Mame, the Writer of Dreams, and Simon the Cyrenian, published and performed together and all written by playwright Ridgely Torrance. 
Before we explore why these plays were so important, it's pivotal to understand how black Americans were represented in theater at the time. While black Americans did have a modest theater scene leading up to the 1900s, theater was still massively segregated in the country, and white Americans generally performed as black characters when the script called for it, donning dark makeup to fit the part. Similar to how men would perform in female roles in ancient Greek and Roman theater. In these whites-only theatrical productions, African Americans were often represented in an offensive way, their characters being loud and over-exaggerated. Now remember, we condemn practices like this today, and rightfully so, but this was very normal back then. But these plays changed the game, because Ridgely Torrance was a white writer, but his plays exhibited African American characters in a more honest and natural light. When the plays were performed, Torrance insisted that the black characters be played by black actors, which was a revolutionary concept for the time. The three plays initiated a further adoption of the realistic portrayal of African American life in the United States and other forms of art, including visual art and literature, giving rise to notable writers such as Langston Hughes, Zora Neale Hurston, Claude McKay, and Hubert Harrison. I feel that it's important to note that black artists had always been around, but until the Harlem Renaissance, it was nearly impossible for any of them to find financial or commercial success. But this movement made it possible for African Americans to find their passions and pursue them actively. The movement of African Americans from rural areas to urban centers, primarily Harlem, created the widespread opportunity for more African Americans to receive a proper education. In a single generation, a group of African Americans rose to prominence who were sophisticated, cosmopolitan, and had a deep appreciation for their heritage. This led to a new social consciousness, which inherited the title, The New Negro. The New Negro movement was an effort to define what it meant to be African American by African Americans, rather than let the degrading stereotypes and caricatures found in blackface minstrelsy practices to do so. While the Harlem Renaissance involved huge advancements of literary voices in the black community, increased visibility for black sculptors and painters, and slightly better integrated relations between white and black Americans, the Harlem Renaissance is most fondly remembered for one big thing. Musicians during the Harlem Renaissance began experimenting with combining different types of music to create a new, strictly Harlem sound. This new blend of ragtime and blues would be known as the Harlem Stride. With the advent of the Harlem Stride, African Americans continued to experiment with music, and a new type of big band, jazzy, dive bar music became a staple of the Harlem Renaissance, bringing new black artists to prominence such as UB Blake, Noble Sissel, Jelly Roll Morton, Lucky Roberts, James P. Johnston, Willie the Lion Smith, Fats Waller, Ethel Waters, Adelaide Hall, Florence Mills, and band leaders Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong, and Fletcher Henderson, all of which were talented beyond belief and charismatic to boot. All of their acts quickly outgrew the small, smoky venues they had risen to fame with, and there came a need for larger venues in Harlem. Enter the Cotton Club.
The Cotton Club was one of the first major music venues in Harlem. Opening in 1923, it became the place to be for patrons of the new music scene, but the Cotton Club had a specific goal which unsettled a lot of black patrons in the area. It was segregated on behalf of the white patrons. The end game of the Cotton Club was to be a place for white audience members to experience the raucous new music while being comfortable without African Americans in the audience. While up-and-coming black artists graced the stage night after night, only white audience members were allowed. Other small clubs continued to operate in Harlem with integrated audience, but none would ever have the same impact on the careers of artists as the Cotton Club except in the area of dance. Only one club would outshine the Cotton Club in that area. In 1926, a club opened to juxtapose the segregation of the Cotton Club called the Savoy Ballroom. It was opened by a team of integrated entrepreneurs and was one of the first luxurious integrated clubs in the country. Because of this early integration, it enjoyed modest success and began quickly hosting acts just as renowned as the Cotton Club. And while the Cotton Club was the place to be to go dancing and see live music up to that point, the Savoy Ballroom challenged that status quo, and the exciting atmosphere saw the birth of many new dance moves that remain popular today being locally called Home of the Happy Feet. With dances being created such as the Lindy Hop, the Flying Charleston, the Jive, Snake Hips, Rum Boogie, and variations of the Shimmy and Mambo, all of this thanks to the Harlem Renaissance. The Harlem Renaissance came to an end during the Great Depression, but its legacy lives on as one of the most pivotal moments in African-American experience. Because of it, African-Americans began developing an identity for themselves and started being recognized for their efforts among their Caucasian counterparts. Truly, in the 1920s and 30s, Harlem became known as the Black Mecca and remains somewhat so today as 44% of the population identifies as African-American. As Langston Hughes put it, with Harlem came the courage, quote, to express our individual dark-skinned selves without fear or shame. It was a time of prosperity for the black culture, and as an avid fan of jazz music and Langston Hughes, I am forever grateful to incredible artists such as Fats Waller, Duke Ellington, and obviously, Louis Armstrong. That's going to do it for the podcast today, folks. Thank you so much for joining in. I know it was a little bit shorter of an episode. I've got a lot of homework that I have to do this week that is really taking my primary focus. Uh, so that is my priority right now. But I'm so glad that I was able to get this podcast out. This was an incredibly interesting series of events to explore. I wish I could explore it a little bit more. I may do a revised podcast with this later when I have more time on my hands to be able to dive deeper into all the intricacies of the Harlem Renaissance. But for the most part, you get the idea of what was going on and why this is so such an important event to cover. If you enjoy the podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and drop me a five-star review. And tune in next week. We'll have another episode here for you. Catch you then.